In your Bibles this morning, Luke chapter number 3. Luke chapter number 3, and we'll begin reading in verse number 7. Luke chapter 3 and verse number 7. We pick up here in the text, John the Baptist has entered the scene, and he is uh, preaching a message, the baptism of repentance. And uh, he's encouraging people to repent of their sins, turn from their sins, and be baptized. This was an interesting thing for a Jew to do because uh, Jews typically didn't, weren't baptized. Jews, uh, they attempted to adhere to the law. And if a Gentile wanted to become uh, a follower of the Jews' religion as a proselyte in order to change, they would actually, they would repent of their sins, acknowledge that they're unworthy, unclean, and then be baptized. And that was a process of being welcomed into the Jews' religion. So for a Jew to be baptized was something where they had to humble themselves and acknowledge themselves as sinners. And so John the Baptist is preaching this message. And Jews are coming to the realization, they're humbling themselves, and they're acknowledging that they've not kept the law, and they they have not done everything right. They're, They're sinners. They're acknowledging they're sinners. And so God is using John the Baptist to work in the hearts of the people as the forerunner preparing the way of Jesus and the message of the gospel that's soon to follow. And so John the Baptist is preaching and he's got a group of people that have gathered together and he uh, speaks to them here in verse number 7. And the Bible says this, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people ask him saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? He said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. We come to this passage of scripture, and John has a multitude of people gathered together, and John does something quite interesting. John has a, is determined his heart to make all these folks seem feel very comfortable with his message. And so the group of people gather around, and John, he begins his message and sermon to these people. He looks them square in the eyes, he says, you generation of vipers. <laughs> Uh, do you think that makes him comfortable? That the word generation is like a brood, a family. He's like, you family of snakes. <laughs> what a blessing, right? 
uh, John the Baptist gathers people around, and he, the first thing out of his mouth is he says, you're a bunch of snakes. I want to warn you. You're a bunch of snakes. <laughs> now, John the Baptist's message was one not, of, not mean, not judgmental, but actually a message of love. John's message to these people, he says, now, I want you to know something. You're getting ready to do an act of baptism. He says, but I want you to know something. There's something more important than the act of baptism. And you need to make sure that your heart is right with God and you are truly repenting and turning to the Lord. And John's want to help them. John's determined to help them because... There is a reality in the scriptures that all men must be aware of. I want you to see a couple places in this text. We find in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end of this passage of scripture an emphasis that I need to share with you. The Bible says in verse number 7 of chapter 3, verse number 7, He said to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John's mentioning something that folks don't love to talk about. And honestly, I don't love to talk about it. John says, there's wrath to come. There's wrath to come. Look in verse number 9. In verse number 9, John paints a picture in the mind's eye of the folks that are there. He says this, and now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now, this is an interesting picture. If you can imagine, you've got a man with an axe in his hand. The man with the axe in his hand is God. And God has laid at the root of the tree an axe. And, and the axe is laid there, and it's in, in preparation. And he's looking at the tree to see if there's fruit. And the axe is laid at the root. And if there's no fruit, the tree is going to be hewn down and cast into the fire. It's not a matter of whether you've done good works or not. We're looking to, to see if this, true, this tree has the nature of a tree that can bear spiritual fruit. God's looking, is this tree saved from the wrath to come? The axe is laid at the root of the tree. In verse number 17, look at it with me. In verse number 17, the Bible says, speaking of Jesus, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. Another picture. It's, a, it's another picture of, of a, a scene that folks would have been very familiar with this moment. Wheat. How many of you have seen the wheat blowing in the wind? The wheat blows in the wind. And the part that you want on the wheat is up in the very top. That, that The head of wheat is what you want. Inside the head, there are little grains of wheat. And the little grains of wheat are the things that are made that we grind into flour. Now, on the outside, the little grains of wheat is peeling. And the Bible calls it chaff. The chaff is dry and brittle. And the way that they would have processed wheat this time, would they would have taken wheat, the heads of wheat, and they would have put it on a floor called a threshing floor, and they would have, they would have, they would have beat on it and, set, and they would have made it where the wheat and the peeling came apart, the meat and the, and the peeling came apart. And then the dry, powdery chaff peeling would be blown away. And you've got this picture of someone with a giant fan on a flat floor, and they're fanning the chaff. 
As the wind blows, the chaff is blown away. The Bible gives us a picture that the chaff is gathered up and burned. Now, the pictures and the emphasis of this passage of Scripture are very plain. The pictures and the emphasis of the Scripture is to let folks like you and me and all people know that the wrath of God will fall on the heads of men. I remember not long after I came to be your pastor, I was just preaching through a text, and when I got to the text, this emphasis on hell was there. And uh, just so you know, I don't pick what I'm going to preach. I'm just preaching through. I'm preaching through Luke now, if you've not picked up on that. I just preach what's next. And this is what's next. And so early on, I was preaching, and I preached a message, and it was very plain what the Bible said, and it mentioned hell and the certainty of hell and the fact that real people are going there. And I'm going to tell you something. I never preach on hell with joy in my heart, like, ha, 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 you're getting what you deserve. I preach on hell with pain in my heart, knowing that if you do not turn to faith in Jesus, the realities of hell are real. Someone well-meaning that I love, my friend, had heard me preach the message on hell, and he, he let me know that, he said, I don't know how long you're going to last around here if you keep preaching on hell like that. And uh, he was well-meaning. It was, it was well-taken. I appreciated him being concerned about me. But I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to preach the Word of God. And when the realities of hell and a message that is less than popular comes up, we're going to preach it just the same because I'm absolutely confident that it is important that God's people and the world understands that God is going to judge sin and sin separates people from God and sin condemns folks to hell. But that's why we have the greatest news that ever was. Jesus Christ, God's Son, paid the price for your sins on the cross of Calvary so that you do not have to die and spend eternity in a Christless hell. Now look, we come here and John the Baptist already, now Jesus hasn't even began his earthly ministry, but John the Baptist right out of the gate, he's got this group of people who said, I want to be baptized, I want to be baptized, I want to be baptized. And John the Baptist says to this group of people, he says, listen, you are a generation of vipers. He says, you're a family of snakes. Why does he say that? So he, can, so he can make himself feel good and snuff them. No. He says, you're a generation of snakes. He says, I want you to know something. It's possible in your nature, folks, to be baptized and do some type of religious ceremony. And the end result is you've never repented. You've never truly been born again. You've never truly been saved. You've never put your trust in Jesus. He says, it's possible. Because you have a sin nature, you family of snakes. It's possible you have a sin nature that you'll make some religious activity a substitute for real repentance. He says, I want you to repent. I want you to repent because I want God to save you from the wrath that is to come. Tonight, today's message is titled this, Saved from the Wrath to Come. Saved from the wrath to come. How can I be saved from the wrath to come? Now, the burden of John was that these people would repent and turn to faith in the Lord and be saved. 
How can I be saved from the wrath to come? The first thing this is you need to remember that salvation is not inherited. Salvation is not inherited. Look what the Bible says in verse number 7. In verse number 7, the Bible says this, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, family of snakes, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says, there's wrath coming. Who's warned you? What are you here for? Why do you want? He says, you need to be saved. Verse number 8, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now, this is an interesting thing that he says. He looks at these folks. He says, now look, you need to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. He says, you need to genuinely repent of your sin. If you'll genuinely repent of your sin, the byproduct of that will be certain fruits. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But then he says, don't say to yourself, don't bring this up, don't think about this thing, don't say unto yourself that God, let's see here, don't say, verse number 8, don't say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. So here, why did he say that? Don't say to yourself, we have Abraham. I'll tell you why he said that. He said that because there were groups of Jewish people who believed just because they were of the descendant and they were in the line of Abraham, that because of their connection to Abraham, there was no way that they could be condemned, no way that they would be judged. They said, they said look, we're good. We're of the seed of Abraham. We don't have anything to worry about. But John the Baptist said, look, that's not how it works. You're not saved because Abraham, your great, 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 great grandfather was saved. You're not saved because of the faith of Abraham. You'll have to be saved individually, personally, and you yourself will have to repent. I want you to understand something, that our salvation is not something that we inherit. It's not something we inherit. I'm not saved because my great grandfather was saved. I'm not saved because my great-great-grandfather was a church planter. I'm not saved because my dad's saved. I'm not saved because of some heritage that I have. By the way, I'm not saved because I'm a preacher. I'm not saved because I attend a church faithfully. I'm not saved because I tithe my income. I'm not saved because of any work that I do. I'm not saved. I didn't inherit salvation. It's not something that just happens. It's not something that everybody gets just because. And so John the Baptist, he says, I want you to know something. What you're getting ready to do, you need to repent. You need to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You need to acknowledge that you personally need to be washed clean of your sins. You need to put your trust in God, the only person that can forgive your sins. And in due time, the ministry of Christ would prove that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus rose again, and that it was Jesus that paid the price for the sins of the whole world for all of time. The message was this, salvation is not inherited. He says, you're not saved just because Abraham was saved. You're not saved just because you're religious. You're not saved because your family's religious. You're not a Christian just because everybody in your family's been a Christian. You are saved from the wrath to come when you put your trust in Jesus Christ for your soul's salvation. Salvation's not inherited. He says something interesting here in verse number 8. He says, bring forth fruits 
worthy of repentance. Begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. Look at the last phrase. He says, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. He said, look, God could take these stones and raise up children to Abraham. It's nothing special necessarily that you are a child of Abraham. You need to get saved. You need to get saved. You know that there's no exceptions there's no exceptions. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no exceptions. No person has ever been so good that they did not need Jesus to wash their sins away. No person has ever been so perfect or so religious that they did not need Jesus. You see, we must have Christ. Salvation is not inherited. Number two. Number two, salvation is evidenced by fruit. So John the Baptist is, is uh, balancing this thing here, and he wants us to understand something, that you're, not, you, you're saved not because you're a child of Abraham, and, but when you are saved from the wrath to come, and you have the Spirit of God on you, it's evidenced by fruit. He does an interesting thing here and talks about fruit. Verse number eight, he says, "...bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance." Uh, what does it mean to have a fruit that's worthy of repentance? What's that mean? I'm just going to tell you something. If you get saved by faith in Jesus, if you are born again, you become a new creature, I want you to understand something, that there is going to be a sign. There's going to be a change. It's going to change the way you do things, the way you live, the way you act. I don't know about you, but I remember when I put my trust in Jesus, God made a change in my heart. There were things I could get by with in my conscience before I got saved that after I got saved, I couldn't get by with that anymore. And God put in my heart a desire to love and help other people. One of the evidences that you're saved is that you bear the fruit of love. You'll love people and be more forgiving than you've ever imagined that you could. The Lord changes our lives. The Bible says that we should bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Now look, now if you've repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, there's going to be fruit that comes out of your life that is that is evidence that you're actually saved. So the second thing is this. Salvation is evidenced by fruit. Verse number 9. Look what verse 9 says. The Bible says, Now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast in the fire. Now we're talking about this fruit. Now we remember the picture of God has the axe at the, at the root of the tree and he's checking to see if it has fruit. Something interesting that happens when you get saved is God completely changes your nature. God completely changes your nature. How many of you know what a Bradford pear tree is? How many of you know what a Bradford pear tree is? When I think about trees, that is the one that I dislike the most. I don't like Bradford pear trees. There's several reasons. Uh, there's, some, there's some positives to Bradford pear trees. They grow really fast. That's positive in some senses. There's positive to Bradford pears. It won't be long until they're going to be white and blooming everywhere. And they're beautiful. They really are. But something happens with Bradford pear trees often. They'll, they bloom a little early and then you'll have a heavy frost or freeze. And the next thing you know, that beautiful white, beautiful tree is black because it got froze. And I don't like Bradford pear trees. Another thing about Bradford pear trees, they grow really fast. So the first time a hard wind blows through, they break all to pieces. How many of you have ever had had a Bradford pear tree in your yard and it broke to pieces. How many of you testify that? See, I hate those things. Uh, they're terrible. Uh, 
I'm surprised they don't have big honking thorns on them because they had to be the product of the curse of sin. You know, Brad, I don't like Bradford. Another thing I don't like about Bradford pear trees, I'm meddling now, is you know they're like the last tree on the planet to drop their leaves in the winter. So you rake your leaves, you rake your leaves, and the Bradford pear tree's still hanging on to a few, and it's like, ha, 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 I'm going to drop 10 tomorrow so you can't get your yard clean until spring. All right, anyway, I don't like Bradford pear trees, but I want you to imagine this for just a minute. I want you to imagine that you are a Bradford pear tree, and you're actually, and I'm actually worse than a Bradford pear tree. I'm a sinner. I'm condemned. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, uh, doomed. I'm going to suffer the wrath to come. I am a sinner. Now look, here's what happened. God doesn't only clean up the Bradford pear tree. God changes it completely. You, so, you see, when God changes you, he changes you. It's like when I got saved, I went from being a Bradford pear tree to all of a sudden God saved me, and now I have the nature of a Honeycrisp apple tree. How many of you like Honeycrisp apples? I love them. I mean, it's just like all of a sudden I have the ability to actually bear fruit because God has changed my complete nature. Does that make sense? And so the scripture says here, and John is just wanting to make sure. He says, look here, you guys are a generation of vipers. You're a family of snakes. You're sinners. And sinners need to be changed. And your nature needs to be changed. And you need to be changed in such a way through repentance and faith that you become, with a new nature, something completely different that can actually bear fruit. Previously, you were a Bradford pear. Currently, when you repent and put your faith in Jesus by faith in Savior, you become a tree that can produce fruit that is good. And so when God is with his axe at the, at the root of the tree, he's not looking to see if you're doing a really good job. He's looking to see if you have the leaves of a tree that produces fruit, to, look, to see if you have the nature of a tree that can produce fruit, and if in fact you are producing fruit. And if you do not have the nature, if you don't have Jesus Christ, the end result, if you die without Jesus, is you're going to suffer the penalty of sin, which is death and hell. And so God says, look, if you have real fruits to repent, if you have real repentance, there's going to be fruits and signs to show it. And so the people are thinking, how do, how do we reconcile this? How do we, we deal with this? Salvation is evidenced by fruit. The scripture continues, verse number 9. We look at it with me? Verse number 10, I should say, verse number 10. And the people ask him, saying, what shall we do then? They're like, how do we deal with this? What shall we do? You see, if we need to bear fruit in order... He says, all right, here we go. I want you to think about this for a second. Verse 11, he answered and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him part to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. He says, look, if you are truly born again, you're going to bear fruit that is willing to share. Let me just tell you something. You don't share in order to be saved. But when you get saved, you're going to have a burden to share. You're going to have a burden to be, to be a blessing to others. He says, look, when you get saved, in your heart is going to be a desire to help other people. He said, it's a fruit. He said, listen, he, he said, I want you to know, if you've re truly repented, you're going to have a desire to share. If you have two coats, you're going to be wanting to give one to somebody. If you have extra meat, you're going to be wanting to share. The Bible continues in verse 12. Then came also publicans. The publicans were the tax collectors. The publicans came to be baptized and said to him, Master, what shall we do? He's like, he's like, how can we know? What kind of fruit can we produce? And John says to the publicans, he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed 
you. He looks at the publicans. The publicans were uh, the tax collectors. They were Jewish people who worked for the the, uh, Roman government and they collected taxes from their own people. And so they they were really looked down on. And often a publican was a cheater and he would try to skim a little extra off the top for himself. And God and and John says, he says, now listen, if you've truly repented, you're not going to be able to continue to cheat people. You're going to exact no more than you're supposed to. You're going to do that. And look, that's the way that God's people are to live. We're not supposed to be lying cheats. We're supposed to exact no more than is required and is necessary. We're to be honest. And I'm just going to tell you, if you can live as a liar, you're probably not saved. You're probably not saved because your Father, God, your Savior, Jesus, the Holy Spirit living in you is going to convict you of that sin. And so John says, now look, it's not being honest and fair that gets you heaven, but it is a sign, it's fruit. He says, it's going to be in your, in your heart and life to do the right thing. If you've truly repented, you're not going to cheat when you charge taxes. We pray this for our county. A lot of folks got something in the mail yesterday that showed that their properties increased in value by a whole bunch. Now look, that's part of doing business in society. And uh, if you don't agree with it, there's a number you can call. But we do pray that our leaders will have integrity, and I believe they do. They have integrity to do the right thing and, uh, and to, to make the right adjustments. And so here's, here's the, these tax He said, now look, if you're an honest Christian tax collector, you're not going to cheat people. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to if you've truly repented. You see, salvation is evidenced by fruit. You're going to share. You're going to be fair. Then the soldiers spoke up. Verse 14, the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? He said to them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. What's he say? Do violence. He says, look, soldiers, if, you're gonna, if you've truly repented, from this point forward, you're not going to go out here and bully people. If you go from this point forward, you're not going to use your office as a means to, to, to cheat and swindle and hurt people. He said, soldier, he said, what should I do? They said, they said do no violence to any man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Isn't that interesting what he says? He says, you need to be content with what God's given you. And you know, these are fruits that God uses to prove that we're saved. If you're able to cheat and lie and steal and live a life that's not honorable, and somehow you're trying to appease your conscience by attending church, let me tell you something. That's not what saves our souls from the penalty of hell. That's not what saves us from the wrath to come. Salvation is not inherited. Salvation is evidenced by fruit. Finally, number three, salvation is provided by Jesus Christ. How can I be saved? Salvation is provided by Jesus Christ. As John the Baptist always does, John points us to Jesus. The Bible says in verse 15, As the people were in expectation, the people were in suspense. They were wondering, what in the world? This is fascinating. This message of John, repentance, salvation, eternal life, judgment to come. They were were wondering in their hearts about all this. The Bible says, all men mused, verse 15, in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ. And everybody's like, is this the Christ that's been promised? Is this Jesus? Is Is this the Christ? Is this the Messiah? John answers them in verse 16. John answers, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water. 
but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. What does John say? John says, now look, I can't save you. I can't save you. On occasion, somebody will say something like this. Uh, Pastor Cody saved me. That's not true. Cody can't save anybody. But Cody can point you to somebody who can. And, uh, and so, so, Jesus, so John the Baptist said, now look, I want you to know something. I'm just preaching the message of repentance. Repent of your sin. Turn to the Lord. He says, but there's one mightier than I the light of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. Now look, it was something that was despised and looked down on for someone to unlatch your shoes. Uh, it was like a, a, the, the worst of the slaves were unlatching your shoes. It was, a, it was a, a thing that was degrading to certain people to wash feet. How many of you love feet? How many of you hate feet? So it was a thing that was degrading to wash feet. So when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was actually humbling himself uh, he was humbling himself and serving them in a way that was, that was subservient. And so John the Baptist said, look, as low as it is to unlatch somebody's feet, I'm not even worthy to do the lowest of the low for the person who's coming after me, the, G, the Christ, Jesus Christ. He says, there's one mightier that cometh after me, the light of his shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. What did he say? He says, Jesus Christ, when he comes, is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Does that mean all of a sudden there was some extra special revelation that came on somebody when they are baptized by the Holy Spirit? No. When you trust in Jesus Christ by faith as your Savior, you are baptized, covered, engulfed in, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He says, the, Jesus, when you put your faith in Him, He's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, he'll baptize you either one by the Holy Spirit or he'll baptize you by fire. That's what we've been talking about, right? Jesus is the difference maker. You see, Jesus provides salvation. It's faith in Christ that provides salvation. When we put our trust in Jesus, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. Our sin is put on Christ's account. We're forgiven. We're promised eternal life. We have Jesus as our Savior. When we put our trust in Jesus, we have eternal life, forgiveness of sin, and we are not condemned to hell and judgment. We have Christ. Jesus is either going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit or He's going to baptize you with fire. You see the picture over and over again? The wrath to come. The chaff being burned. You either put your trust in Jesus and surrender to Him, acknowledge that you're a sinner, believe that He died on the cross for your sins, He is your Savior. You either receive Him by faith as Savior and be baptized with the Holy Spirit, saved, or with fire. Salvation is provided by Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 17, whose fan, remember the picture we talked about earlier, his, whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat. The wheat is the saved into the, his garner, but the chaff, the lost, he will burn with fire, unquenchable. Salvation is provided by Jesus Christ. You're here today. Maybe today is the day that the Lord's really got your attention. You've been thinking about your soul 
You know in your heart that you're a sinner. You know that sin has a penalty. I want to tell you the sweetest news you've ever heard. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Jesus Christ is able and willing to forgive you of all of your sins without exception, without fail. He's faithful. How can I be saved? The Bible says with the heart man believes. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? With the heart man believes unto righteousness. The Bible says with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Has there ever been a time where you asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins? You believed on Him and trusted Him for your soul's salvation. If you're here and you've asked Jesus to save you and you know you're saved... Oh, you have a great privilege. You know, Jesus saves us. Jesus keeps us. Jesus is our Savior. If you're not saved, there's never been a time where you trusted in Jesus, not your works. You trusted in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Oh, I pray that today is the day that you get this settled. Do business with the Lord. The Bible says we're to be saved from the wrath to come. I love the word saved. Why is it so important? Uh, we talk about often, I've often asked people, are you saved? And if you are saved, most people understand what that means, saved. I'm glad that I'm saved. Saved, I'm a question asker. Saved from what? And I'll tell you, because I've put my faith in Jesus as my Savior, I am saved from the wrath to come. Saved from the penalty of sin and death. It's a real thing. And the only way to escape the wrath to come is to repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. John's burden on this particular day was for folks not to just trust in their heritage. For folks not to just trust in their, uh, their baptism or their, their religious rites. But for folks to trust in Jesus Christ, who in John's life would soon die on the cross, rise from the dead, and ascend into heaven so that folks like us could have everlasting life and be saved from the wrath to come. Let's pray.